0: Well, it's exciting to enter into a new season on the planet, you know, it's kind of the season of Advent officially begins next week, uh, but it's always fun to get a jump start in all of these things. Uh, But before we start anything, I just need to say, Dan, I need to set up a uh, counseling session with you. I don't know if anybody that's ever said that to their wife before, oh my goodness, (laughs) She outed you in front of everybody, man. So I'm going to clear my schedule this week so we can sit down and chat about warming up raisin bran, you know? (laughs) So, (laughs) thanks, Marilyn. We needed to know that about him, all right? Well, uh, last week we talked about how these first century Galileans were having their minds blown by what Jesus was saying. We talked about losing their mental composure. Um, It was pretty powerful. He spoke with unprecedented, and unparalleled authority. Jesus showed up on the world scene and he announced that the long-awaited, highly-anticipated kingdom of God, the reign of God, the kingdom of God, had arrived because he had arrived, right? And he started saying things, and he started saying things in ways that hadn't been done before. And it was really hard to fathom his message, and so we're going to continue on in the passage that we started at last week and we're going to see what that message was and what he was all about. So what was his message? And recap, we talked about this the last couple of weeks. Jesus' message was this, repent, believe in my good news that I'm offering to you and then follow me. I'm going to give you a chance of a lifetime, so follow me, which means be like me. You, ordinary, normal people, have a chance to be like me. You can be pressed into my mold, so to speak. So he says, repent, believe in the good news, and follow me. Don't doubt, don't call into question the character and the commands of God. Don't spurn his benevolence. By rebelling against him like Adam and Eve did long ago. Be like me. Be always willing to obey the Father's commands. I obeyed despite my feelings. And even when it would lead to my own death, I still obeyed. So be like me. Follow after me. Be pressed into my mold. And when you do that, when you actually follow after him, he utters an unchanging promise. He says this, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you into competent vessels to bring about the amazingly good news that forgiveness of sin is available in my gospel. I have come to seek and save that which was lost, and if you're going to follow me, then you must do the same. That was the long and short of Jesus' message so far in the first chapter of the gospel of Mark. Jesus Taught with authority and it blew people's minds. they like, no, we haven't heard this one before in synagogue. And today in our text, we're going to notice that Jesus doesn't just have a big mouth with big boasts, but that he can actually back it up with power. And we're going to see some amazing things in the passage today. But what we need to understand is that the message last week is the same as this week. The reign of God demonstrates its power. When we obey what the teacher has taught. If you want to see the reign of God demonstrate its power, then we must actually obey what our teacher has taught us. And we're going to see a pretty wild thing in the text today. The wild thing in the text that we'll see today is that the demons in the counterfeit lowercase k kingdom of Satan demonstrate the power of Jesus' words as they obey what he said. And when the demons believed, or when the demons obeyed rather, they, their obedience brought about a restoration and an amazement to everyone and fame to Jesus. And so that begs the question, will you and I obey the words of Jesus to have similar results happen in our life? Who doesn't want restoration in their life? Who doesn't want to see the amazing freedom and the feeling of freedom from oppression that Jesus can bring about? Who wouldn't want the fame of Jesus to spread, be spread abroad? And we all probably realize that these are categorically good and right things. And so we ask ourselves the question, well, how do we get there? Well, we must obey what the teacher has taught. And when we obey, others will see the power of God and the reign of God on display in our lives, and others will be able to see it as well. We'll see it, and they'll see it. And when they see it, It will look like a very attractively baited hook that they might latch on to as well. So that they can be plucked out of the dark, watery chaos that they've been accustomed to living in for so long. They too can look to the one who is offering them the freedom of forgiveness instead of letting them swim in a sea of judgment and chaos for all of eternity. So that's what we're going to see in the text today and it's going to be powerful. So let's go ahead and open up into the text. into Mark chapter 1. The words will be on the screen, but I encourage you to follow along on your device or in the physical copy that you have in front of you as well as we open up to Mark chapter 1 and ask God's blessing to be upon us as we open up this word of life. It says this in Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And they, remember, these are the first four followers of Jesus with Jesus, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent. And come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. God, I pray that you'd add your blessing to those of us who are here reading, seeking to learn from you, seeking to put into practice every word that we hear today, every word that we read in this copy of our scriptures, that we put it into practice in our lives so that you might be honored and glorified to the amazement and the fame of your name and the amazement of other people to see how you can bring about such an amazing liberation. So God, I pray that as we open up this text and as we walk through it slowly, that we'd be able to see all the things that we need to see here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's walk through this text slowly and see what we can observe. Starting in verse 23, it says this, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. So please do not fail to notice something here. The location is very important. Remember the three golden rules of real estate? What are they? Location, 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 right? So here's a man In their synagogue with an unclean spirit. Where was the man with the unclean spirit? Answer is in the synagogue. What was a man with an unclean spirit doing in synagogue that day? Is that even allowable? Aren't you supposed to keep this place clean? We mentioned it last week that the synagogue was both the social and the religious centers of town in Judaism. People that had pressing re- religious or social needs could assemble there in hopes of having those needs met. But here we have a man with an unclean spirit there. And here's something we're not told how that unclean spirit was evidencing itself in that man's life, it's just generic. Mark just says, hey, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, period. So sometimes in the Gospels, as strange as it might sound to a 21st century American mind and people like us, unclean and demonic spirits had such control over the people that they were possessing or influencing that some people couldn't speak. They were mute. We'll read about it later. People oppressed by demonic hordes to the degree that they had physical blindness. Another man that we read about in the Gospels was giving evidence to his demonic oppression by his madness to the degree that he was self injuring himself. He took sharp objects like stones. And he dug into his own flesh, probably with the vain hope of trying to cope with the pain of his strong emotions and the intense pressure from unrelenting and upsetting relational problems in his life. These feelings were too difficult for this man to bear, so he would take sharp objects and bear down on his body and cut himself in a vain attempt to feel something to maybe watch the pent-up rage or the sorrow or the rejection or the guilt or the shame or the emptiness of his life just flow away in a crimson river. Those attempts for relief didn't work for that man. But what did work was the freedom that was offered to that man by Jesus Christ when Jesus showed up on the shoreline of his life. We're not preaching those texts today, but what we are going to see in our text today is we don't know how this evil spirit gave evidence to itself in this man's life. Mark doesn't tell us, and in my opinion, listen, that's even scarier. When something is so subtle that potentially it escapes notice, when it flies under the radar, so to speak, and the depth of deception is so undetectable that we can enter into solemn assemblies of corporate worship and do religious duties alongside everyone else with an unclean spirit. We are in a world of trouble. So that's a very dangerous place to be, and destruction is just around the corner for this man. So track this, track it carefully. Mark tells us that there's a man in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Here is a man where he was supposed to be on the Sabbath. He's doing his religious obligation. He's in the gathering, but he didn't come alone. He brought with him an unclean companion. So that makes me wonder... What are the chances the same thing plays out in this structure week after week? There's no doubt in my mind that there are people here in our attendance today who, this very moment, are under the oppressive dominion of evil, unclean spirits. And you're like, well, who? Well, don't look to your left and your right. If I would have handed out mirrors to everyone in attendance today, now would be the time that I'd ask you to pull them out and see who you see in the reflection. Do you know that every time that you and I fail to take God at his word and fail to obey what he has clearly said in his word, we're falling for the same trick of Adam and Eve fell for in the beginning when they were under the influence of the deceiver. So this should be something that's humbling for all of us. Every time we sin and we fail to believe what God has said and we take matters into our own hands and our old Adam nature has been stimulated into action by our deception, we're we're, we're under the influence of unclean spirits. We might be in this solemn assembly today and our uncleanness might be undetectable to us. It might be undetectable to others, but the king of the kingdom is very aware of it. Or maybe, maybe you've grown very comfortable in your uncleanness. Or maybe your uncleanness has been tolerated by the masses here for so long That we've all just kind of turned a nonchalant eye to known areas of sin in other people's lives. We might be tempted to think, oh, well, that's just so-and-so. That's just who they are. Well, that's a very sad situation. We should never grow comfortable with any area of our lives or other people's lives that are sticking out of the mold, so to speak, that we're to be pressed into to look more like Jesus. And if we have areas in our lives that are sticking out of the mold, when the mold comes down, they should be cut off. But sadly, sometimes we're deceived by demonic hordes into thinking that the gospel of Jesus Christ really can't actually penetrate hardened hearts to actually change them. That's just who they are. They've always been that way. We just kind of turn a nonchalant eye. We tolerate it. We think that the power of Jesus is somehow limited and cannot change those who actually need to be changed. And so we just think, well, that's just who they are or that's just who I am. I haven't been changed so far, so what hope is there now to change? Listen, when salt that loses its saltiness, it's only good for one thing, to be cast out and trampled on. That's not good. So if you have areas of uncleanness in your life and you're here in this gathering of the king of all kings, you need to come to the grip of the very hard and yet very freeing truth that you need to change. You need to change. You might be here, but your life is in direct violation of the one you were called to be like as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So listen, I know this. Track here for a moment. I know that there might be an uneasiness in the room. There might be an unsettled nature in your soul right now. And you might be wondering if I, as the preacher, am thinking about you. Maybe, maybe I'm singling somebody out today. You might feel like all eyes are on you right now. You might have your fingers crossed hoping that I don't start naming names. That would get really awkward real quick. We'll get ready for an awkward moment. I'm not going to name names, but I am going to name one name. So as to set an example that will hopefully wake us all up from our casual slumber. Now I got your attention. (laughs) Now every eye is peeled. Every eye is attempting not to make eye contact. Good. Good. Now we're ready to hear. The individual that I want to call out publicly today has the first name Olive, and their last name is Us. Everybody's like, whew, oh my goodness. <laughs> All of Us is someone who comes to this congregation every single week. All of Us is faithful and weekly Sabbath day attendance. But all of us needs to be called out here today. I know it's awkward, but I'm compelled to embrace the awkwardness for the sake of honoring the God of this assembly. All of us, you need to hear and heed the words that are coming out of my mouth right now. I am preaching to you the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who has come to seek and to save you from your lostness and give you new life, and life that's abundant. But you must listen. You must internalize. You must grasp these truths week after week by faith and live them out in order to find the freedom that your soul is longing and yearning for. Your soul has been pleading to be set free from the decaying matter of your old nature, now is the time to let it experience that freedom that is being freely offered to you in Jesus Christ. All of us, this will not just happen by your weekly attendance of your religious gathering and duty. You must have a real personal encounter with the risen Lord as he is authoritatively speaking to you through this preaching time and you must respond to what he is saying to you in your heart of hearts. Yes, all of us, you can come here with your old nature. Yes, all of us, you can even come to this religious assembly under demonic influence, but please don't leave here with it or under it. Submit yourself to the one who has the highest authority, all of us. Submit yourself to the one in whose name we are all gathered here. And we're gonna see what happens when we do submit to the one with the highest authority next. Look at this. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is amazing. Here we have two declarations and two questions by demons. Look at what happens here. The unclean spirit recognizes a few things about Jesus. First, there's the recognition that Jesus was a human. Jesus was a man from Nazareth, of all places. But the demon also identifies Jesus of Nazareth was also the Holy One of God. This was a title used in the Old Testament for God himself. So, the demon understands some pretty massively deep theology here. The demons declared what theologians call the hypostatic union. The demons declared the two distinct and two complete natures of Jesus, the Son of God, incarnate. It's pretty impressive. Jesus was a man from Nazareth and simultaneously the Holy One of God. Last week we talked about the mind-blowing teaching of Jesus. This week we see the mind-blowing declarations of demons. Wow. They get it. But that's not all. Look what the demon knows what this God-man has the capacity to do This God-man has the ability to destroy them. Wow. So look at what the demon says next. They formulate a question, and then they follow it up with another question. Question one, what have you to do with us, and have you come to destroy us? Question marks. And might I suggest that these are the same questions that we need to be asking the God-man as well. God-man, what have you to do with us? We see this exact phrase in the Old Testament. And the thrust of that expression in those contexts was this. Why are you violently interfering with us? That's what the demons ask. Why Why are you interfering with us? Not just what have you to do with us, but the thrust is, why are you interfering with us? One time this phrase was when an attacking army of Ammonites was threatening the safety of the Israelites and judges. One time this phrase was used when the life of a widow's only son was being threatened. Why are you interfering? Like, we could die here. These people who said these phrases in the Old Testament were saying, why are you interfering with us? You're threatening us. And this is what the demons say to Jesus Look, we know who you are, and you pose a threat to us, and we fear being destroyed by you. So stop interfering with what we got going on with this guy in the synagogue. Look, isn't it enough for you that he's here? He's here in the religious assembly. Isn't that good enough for you? Do you really need to interfere with our work? Doesn't it as attendance? Just as mere attendance, doesn't that satisfy you? Stop messing around. It's been a while since I referenced football, so now it's as good as time as any to start up again. All right. So the demons are throwing a flag on Jesus. They're saying, you're interfering with us. You're interfering with what we're seeking to accomplish. In football, there's a penalty called pass interference. And it happens as a ball is flying through the air on a pass play. When the ball is in the air, both the receiver, the offensive receiver, and the defensive back have a right to catch that ball as it's spiraling through the air. Either team can attempt to possess the ball. However, if the offensive player or if the defensive player pulls on the opponent's jersey, or he puts a hand on the opponent's back or their shoulders or makes any type of physical contact with their opponent while the ball is in the air it's called pass interference in the NFL pass interference is a spot of the foul penalty so it can be very very costly it's not just a 5 10 or 15 yard penalty the penalty is enforced wherever the spot of the foul occurred so if you just launch a ball down field And if you interfere with the attempt to catch the pass 40 yards down the field, it's a 40-yard penalty. If you're on defense, you don't want interference calls. They're very, very costly. And that's what the demons are saying here. Jesus, you're interfering with us and it's going to cost us something. We have a right to possess this person and influence this person just as much as you do. So stop coming around here with your kingdom talk. This is our synagogue. Don't interfere with what we got going on here. If you do, it will cost us too much. If people hear you out and they start obeying your volitional exhortations to repent and believe in the kingdom of God thing that you claim is at hand, it will destroy our ability to keep people in the dark. And so they say, Are you here to interfere with us? Have you come to destroy us? And the simple answer to that question is, yes. Yes. The Apostle John says this, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And now get this, they're in the synagogue with the unclean spirit. These demons are quaking or, or shivering, right? They don't know what's going to happen, but they kind of do know what's going to happen. And they ask these two questions. Are you here to interfere with us or stop interfering with us? And have you come to destroy us? The answer is yes. And get this, how will the work of demons be destroyed in this text? It would be by the means of the words coming out of Jesus' mouth. His words, if heard, received, believed, apprehended by faith, then acted on upon, regardless of how people feel, will bring about a liberation and shine a great light that the kingdom of darkness will not be able to cover up. The dark, deceptive deeds of the demons will be exposed for what they are, dark and deceptive. And if Jesus shows up and he sheds some light on those kept in the darkness, the demons will have the unpleasant experience of knowing the look people get in their eyes when the veil of darkness has been removed. And they're transferred over into the kingdom of light and life and they're embraced by love. The demons were threatened because they knew that if Jesus' words were heard and acted upon, everything that they were formerly successful at, keeping people in deceit, would be eradicated and overthrown. And the means of this interference were the words of the Holy One of God. People, we have it. We have it. These are the inspired words of our holy God. This word will mess with your life. It will interfere with darkness in your life. This word is sharp. This word will cut. This word will be like a sword that pierces It will be a mirror that reveals things to you. It will be like milk that can nourish you. It's like a seed that can grow in you. It's like a light that can shine on you. It's a fire that can consume you and it's a hammer that can shatter you. The word of God comes into our life to interfere with you, but it won't destroy you. It will destroy the works of the devil in you and allow the real you to walk in complete and total freedom. Amen? Amen. Man, that sounds good. But for us to have this as our reality, we must know what the demons knew. And as ironic as this sounds, we must do as the demons did. What did the demons do? Well, let's finish the passage and find out. Verse 25, but Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. The demons knew that Jesus was the God man and they responded by obeying what he commanded them. And it was a response of obedience. Jesus rebuked the evil demonic spirit and commanded it to be silent and to come out of him. Be silent. Cease from talking. Quiet down you. Put a muzzle on your mouth. Stop with those excessive aggravations. Silence. Let your tongue lay limp. This same word this same word is the same word that Jesus will speak to the wind and the waves in chapter four as they threaten the safety of the disciples in the boat. They're the same words that Jesus speaks to this demon in chapter one. Be quiet. Stop your tongue from forming words and accusations that are trapping people in bondage. Essentially, he is saying the thrust of this is lay limp, be still. Be still and. Now the moment that those words, be still and, anyone in a Jewish synagogue would, would just, the alarms would be going off, right? Be still and. The next thought that would occur in a Jewish person's mind would be the text of Psalm 46.10, which is what, be still and what? Know what? That I am God. These demons, by their own admission, knew that Jesus was God. And so they obeyed his command and they came out of the man. Yes, indeed, one mightier than John was here. And Jesus commanded the demons to come out and they did. And when they did, there was an amazing display of Jesus' power and authority. Palpably evident to the degree that all those who witnessed this display of teaching and power collectively said, What is this? What's this? A new teaching and with excusia, authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. This new teaching with ruling authority, excusia. This is kingdom talk. This is rulership language. This is dominion. This is subjugation. This is stuff we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about Adam and Eve given authority and dominion over the creation to establish and create order, to be fruitful and multiply and spread the reign of the kingdom in the creation. This word, excusia, is kingdom language. It's to have an authority over a domain or a sphere of influence. So here's the thing. Can you just imagine being in the synagogue that day. The people in the synagogue that day heard a demon give a testimony. That it felt threatened by Jesus interfering with its dominion and expressed concern for being destroyed. The people heard Jesus, the God-man, command with kingly authority over the demon to come out. Then they saw the responsiveness of obedience of the demon that resulted in a man experiencing freedom from oppression to the absolute amazement of everyone there. (laughs) So a demon testifies, Jesus speaks, the demon obeys, a man is freed, and everyone is amazed. This is probably not their normal average Sabbath day experience. But maybe it should have been. maybe it should be for us people listen every week the word of the king is preached here every week this word is being planted it's being sown and it's been planted in your heart and it can grow and it can yield amazing results in your life that will amaze you and it will amaze other people they're not like that anymore They've changed. Something happened. There's a new ruler in town. It's like they've got a new teaching that had authority. But this must fall on the good soil of your heart. And the people in the synagogue said, this teaching we heard, it had authority. It wasn't like religious scribes that would offer their take on religious matters or various interpretations. They said the guy we just heard speak spoke like a king. He spoke as if he had authority over the physical and the spiritual domain. And we, the readers of Mark, say, yep, that's exactly what you heard. And Mark ends this section with a summary verse saying, verse 28, and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. So here it is. We're we're rounding the end right here. Here's the ironic kicker in this narrative the reason Jesus' fame spreads everywhere throughout the region was because of the obedience of demons. If that's the case, what would happen if we as his obedient disciples decide to obey what he is calling us to do and to become? He said, I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus caught one in the synagogue that day. And it resulted in a freedom and a whole new way of living. And if you and I want the fame of Jesus to spread everywhere in our lives and in the surrounding area of Linden, Everson, Blaine, Custer, Nooksack, Bellingham, the Great White North, then don't just be amazed with the teaching and commands of Jesus. Actually obey them. God, I pray for us. That we would obey. God, I know it's not easy. It's not rocket science either. It's something that we can't bring about in ourselves, and so we're completely dependent upon your spirit to do that. But that's exactly why you came to this earth. To show us, even as Marianne read, show us the way. I'm the way. Be like me, be pressed into my mold. God, you were born to set and deliver your people, to set your people free and to deliver them from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of your beloved son. God, I pray that you would rule in all of our hearts alone. God, as we conclude this gathering, I pray that you would encourage us to actually obey what we've been instructed to do today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to